Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and I am so glad that you could join me for this show. Uh, You know, on all of these shows, we're talking about how our faith connects to the world that we live in right now. I like how Carl Bart said, we got to read the newspaper in one hand uh, and the Bible in the other, because our, our faith should never just become a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world that we're living in right now. I mean, almost every time Jesus opens his mouth, he's talking about the kingdom of God and how we're to seek first the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not just something we go up to when we die, but something we're to bring on earth while we live, on earth as it is in heaven. So there's not many folks I'd be more excited to talk about that with than my sister, my friend, Alexia Salvatierra, and she is an incredible organizer that's been doing this work for decades and decades, and uh, we always love teaming up. So it's good to be with you, Alexia. Good to see you. So great to be here, Shane. For folks that are not familiar with the the stuff that you're up to now, we're going to get, you know, current to talk about all the things that you've been doing now, but uh, you've got this rich background of organizing work you've done with Cesar Chavez, with uh, uh, the, the the people's movement in the Philippines, and give just a little bit of the backdrop, especially of how your faith can connects to these social movements, some of which have really made history, you know, changed the world. Well, you know, Um, A friend of mine a few years ago, uh, Renee Molina is a pastor, said, um, Hermana, you have the spiritual gift of justice. Mm. And I said, Renee, it's not on the list. (laughs) He said, well, who said the list was closed? (laughs) (laughs) And so I, I thought a lot about it because it's true that I became a Christian in the Jesus movement of the 70s. That's how old I am. And I was not introduced to an understanding of our faith that included justice. But when I read the Bible, I was close to tears when I saw justice everywhere. Mm. It really moved me. I've always felt uh, injustice happening anywhere in my body as if Mm. it was happening to me. And and that creates a compulsion. And I think a spiritual gift is a compulsion that Mm. woe Mm. to me if I don't preach the gospel, as Paul said, you know, he said, like, woe to me if I don't do something about injustice. So um, by the way, I don't think, I think that it's really important to understand that spiritual gifts are for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. So Mm -hmm. if you have a compulsion, it's not so that you will go be a justice superstar. It's so that you will inspire other people to give their granito de arena, their grain of sand, that you inspire people who don't have that gift to be part of the work on a level that makes sense to them. Yeah. That you inspire the body of Christ. Anyhow, but so I've, so ever since I became a Christian um, and, you know, like I said, I cared about justice before I was a Christian, but I didn't have any hope. Yeah. That yeah. knowing That's Christ good. gives you hope 
um, no, and knowing a Christ that cares about justice gives you hope mm, that, mm. you know, there is the, the power of God behind efforts to create, to bring shalom and justice to our communities. So I have been, I've uh, looked for opportunities when opportunities have found me, I've responded. Yeah. And I've been part of a lot of different faith-rooted movements around the world. I, they, my title in our community is La Madrina, which is the godmother, which I just love. Some of the young people I work with gave me that title. Oh, that's a good um, one. It's that's great. <laughs> I, w- I was trying to explain it to people in English, and I was saying, well, it's sort of like the godfather, but not quite that fierce. And I went, no, but actually <laughs> it is quite that fierce. We just don't kill people. You know, Elizabeth Condefraser is La Madrina on the East Coast, and we were talking about that. It's like, yeah, we are that fierce, but no, we don't kill people. But... Um, <laughs> So I've had the great privilege and honor of being involved in justice movements all my life, but always from this angle of um, what is the unique role of the church? Yeah. That how do we contribute? How do we reach down deep into our wells and contribute all the gifts of our faith to God's broader movement for justice? Yeah. And if y'all aren't familiar with Alexia's work, I mean, uh, you've written a whole lot of articles and uh, books and pieces on it and faith rooted organizing. Um, You've got a whole philosophy that you teach. And so we're getting we're getting the 20 minute version today. But there's a a multiple day, multiple hour, I'm sure a whole year class you could. (laughs) And there's a book, you know, Peter Heltz and I wrote a book called Faith Rooted Organizing. And then I recently written another book. So. But give, give folks just uh, the little trailer to the film, the, the like teaser, that a little bit of, a, of the handholds. You talk about, you know, the power of the dove, uh, this whole philosophy that's Jesus and faith rooted that kind of builds a good foundation for a lot of the, the movement work that we're doing. Right. So, yeah, because give, it's give not folks just a few little nuggets. Sure. <laughs> it's not just. Uh, that that our faith calls us to be engaged in social transformation. Our faith calls us to do it differently. Mm. So we are bringing, we're in the world, not of the world. We're bringing our unique gifts to the broader coalition. And I center a lot of that around um, a piece of advice that Jesus gave us. I always say it's a piece of organizing advice that Jesus gave us, that he said to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And to be wise as serpents is to take absolutely seriously the carnful, carnal and sinful sides of human beings. Mm. That sometimes human beings do pursue their narrow self-interest, duh. Sometimes human beings do hold on to power, you know, no, no matter what. Those things happen and not just to politicians, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. But you have to take that seriously, that sometimes people are caught in their carnal nature and they need a push. They need a little mm. pressure in order to get yeah. out of it for their sake, as well as for our sake. But, uh, but if that's all we see when we look at people is their carnal and sinful selves, we've become atheists in the public arena because everyone is made in the image of God. And mm. anyone can be suddenly capable of amazing acts of sacrificial love and moral courage, even politicians. And the Holy Spirit is alive and well and moving throughout the world and working on everyone. And you can be an ally of the Holy Spirit. So I, we call that dove power. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is the dove, right? Yeah. And what we say is that, you know, you can pressure someone uh, to do what you want. And sometimes that's what you have to do. But if you pressure someone to do what you want and they do it, you can never turn your back. 
Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you turn your back, they're going to be not only doing what they were doing before, but maybe more because of their of, of vengeance. Yeah. But if you actually dove power actually um, strengthens the best in that person, mm. that it calls out of them the part of them that wants to do what God wants. Mm. And mm. if you can do that, you have won yourself an ally. Yeah. And I've had that experience multiple times that, and so I think it, you know, it doesn't mean that we erase serpent wisdom. We really have to live in this transitional time between the first coming and second coming of Christ, that we really have to live with the dance of the serpent and the dove. See, see y'all, see, see what wisdom there is here. The power, dove power, come on, and <laughs> dancing between the serpent and the, I, I've always thought that that's exactly what we're, one of my prayers a lot is that we would be as wise as serpents and innocent as does. We need that right now in our country too. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I, I, I love about your writing and just you in general is you, you, you come out of these, not just the Jesus movement roots, but also the, um, uh, the Pentecostal roots, and you mm-hmm. still believe in miracles. You believe in the Holy Absolutely. Spirit moving in the world, and um, and and you've even experienced that. And I think oh, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of folks that there's a lot of folks that are using prayer as something to hide behind. You know, like all the politicians that you know thoughts and prayers after mass shootings. But what it does is, folks are just going. You know, they're done with prayer. We need to be act active in the streets but there's there's an equilibrium right that we don't just give up on thoughts and prayers because people have abused that language or used the lord's name in vain so you're still a woman of prayer you know i was just with reverend barber he's like back you know speaking in tongues praying and i i like being with people who are activists but who are also really grounded in prayer and it gives us that like strength too to realize that this is the weight of the world is not just contingent on my work alone right well why do we think we can do it by ourselves Mm. shane Mm. yeah no this is bigger than us Mm. right yeah i mean you got you you got the you got the pentecostal fire and the 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 dove power all bound up together right (laughs) oh for sure and like you said i've experienced it over and over again you know you Mm. give it a try and it's real yeah right that that God is real. And, and I think um, we sometimes talk about the kind of organizing we do is organizing as if God is real and Jesus is risen. Yeah. Like what happens if you take that seriously? How do you do things differently? And I know you were asking me earlier about one particular example, and I think it's a fun one because it's yeah, a short tell that one. Story. Yeah. It's just short when I have lots and lots of them, but this one is <laughs> fast <laughs> is there was a coalition a really good, strong, broad coalition in San Diego, California, which is has a naval base there. It's a military base. It's a very conservative area. And uh, we were trying to pass living wage legislation, which would benefit working poor families. And we were coming every Tuesday night to the city council meeting where you can speak before city council. You get one to three minutes to say your piece, right? So the, all the coalition members were there and we were speaking and it was such a good broad coalition and it was such a good set of arguments that we had won over 40% of the council, but we needed one more person. And the rest of them had been heavily invested in to vote against us. So they weren't listening. Mm. You know, they had armor up. So those of us who were faith leaders said to the rest of the coalition, we let us do something different. And they were desperate enough to say yes. 
So we went up to the microphone and we didn't give our talking points. We prayed. And of course, we didn't tell people what to pray for. You can't tell people what to pray for. Uh, some people prayed for the shalom of the city. Some people prayed for working poor families. They knew. But a number of people prayed for the members of the city council. Mm, and mm. we did that for a few weeks. And then suddenly, one of the members of the city council, extremely conservative man, but you know, devout evangelical believer, suddenly voted with us. And we won. And a, yeah. journalist, a journalist interviewed him later that day and said, why did you vote for the living wage? And he said, I couldn't take being prayed for one more week. <laughs> you see, he was a man of God. Yeah. It's like we, we turn our enemies into cartoon characters, but mm. they're not. Our opponents are not cartoon characters. And some of our opponents are people of God. Mm. And mm. then when you can meet on that common sacred ground, you know, I remember once having an argument with um, a foundation official who was funding organizing, but didn't believe in faith rooted organizing. And he said, look, Alexia, let's be real. People are only motivated by self-interest. And I said, people have died for their faith. Mm. Where is the self-interest in that? Yeah. Right. So, you know, you think faith is not a motivation. What? You yeah. pay attention to history? You know, that, that this particular man did something extremely risky, but his faith was more powerful than his fear. And we had stoked it. You know, we yeah. had nurtured his faith. And I think that, that that's um, to really take seriously the power of faith yeah. is, is practical. And, you know, often we work in these coalitions, like I said, in the world. It's not outside of the world. It's not apart from the world. It's in the world and not of the world. We work in coalitions where people are very suspicious of faith very mm -hmm. suspicious of prayer, partly because of how these words have been abused and misused, right? Yeah. And so they don't want us to bring any of that. And then, you know, a moment comes when we bring it. And then they're always like, do that thing again, that thing that you did, <laughs> just that thing. <laughs> yeah. like, no, actually, we have a lot of things we can do. The Bible is full of symbols and stories. And, you know, we're not limited to doing that one thing. It wasn't the thing that had power. It was God that had power. Yeah. Right. So good. Now, when you when you think, you know, there's a lot of folks that are probably trying to figure out what prayer really looks like, especially coming out of, you know, traditions where people have hid behind prayer as a way of not taking responsibility or doing anything active with our own hands. And you know, there's a lot of folks that talk about contemplative prayer. And I remember Mother Teresa saying it. Um, you know, prayer doesn't always change things, but it changes us so that we can change things. And there is a part of prayer that's that, but there's also a part of prayer that, you know, I, I think folks are looking for how, to, how do you really pray authentic prayers? Are there tools that you use or prayers that you've inherited from uh, folks that have gone before you that are really vital to your prayer life? Or are you total Pentecostal? You just pray whatever comes, comes to mind. No, I think that's funny. You know, I'm a seminary professor now. So to be a seminary professor is to really value the whole resources of the whole church. Yeah. It's to climb up on the mountain and look around the world and throughout the ages and say, what out of all of this treasure can I bring to people who are struggling in the weeds right now? Yeah. I call it the mutual compass. You know, people on the ground inform us, but we inform the people on the ground with this big picture. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I think that there's been so much that's been discovered around the world and throughout the ages about prayer, like praying the Psalms. Oh, yeah. it's so powerful to pray the Psalms, right? Because yeah. they're so universal. 
and they touch us so deeply. Yeah. Um, even some of the unsavory parts are actually what we feel in our hearts and being able to trust God is being able to say to God what you feel in your heart, yeah, even if it's yeah. not politically correct. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot out there, but, but I also really believe that prayer is intimacy with God. And I do believe, how could I not? I mean, I've seen it over and over again, that God is everywhere and active. And yeah. so there's a, a mystical part to this interaction that it's, it's an actual force. I know, you know, I love my brother, Greg Boyle with all my heart, but, um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I know you're a white guy too, Shane, but <laughs> he's yeah, a white guy. Less, less and, and there is this reality to white guy historic culture, which is you want everything to, to fit with neatly, you know, like it's like this or it's like that, you know? So he's like prayer that changes the outside world makes no sense, you know, because, because yeah. he looks at it scientifically. And I just don't look at the world scientifically. That's not my culture. Mm. Um, mm. I'm actually with Luther in this. There was this dialogue between Luther and Calvin at one point where, where Calvin said, Luther, if people are chosen to be saved, logically, they're also chosen to be damned. Mm. He said, it's just logical. And Luther said, logic be damned. All I know is the love of God. <laughs> How about that? That was yeah, a good one. I just you don't, don't hear that one every day. I mean, there's this dance with God where, you know, Jesus is before Pilate, the night before Pilate's wife have had Pilate's wife has a dream. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just this way that we used to this is a funny one, but years ago I was um pastoring a farmworker church in Central California. And we had all these kids who had never been to the beach and had mm. their lives. And they were all kids sort of on the edge of gangs. And we were trying to give them a bigger world. And so we would take them on these trips, but we never had any money. So people had to come with cars, you know, these falling apart cars that people owned as sort of groups of people would own a car. You know, people had to come with these cars. And let me tell you, the number of seats in the cars were always equal to the number of kids. Yeah. Now, yeah. That's, that's just this little mystical kiss from God, right? That's yeah. all. It doesn't mean that every time you pray for the sick baby, he lives, but sometimes he does. And he does when all the doctors say that he won't, the current yeah. goes through you all. So it's, you, it's not neat. You can't make it nice and neat. That's not the world I live in. You yeah, know? yeah. And, but you know, of course I don't, when I see him, when I see God, I have a lot of questions Yeah, totally. <laughs> about why this and not like, why did you show up with such power in this? And then this mm. other time it felt you like you were so absent, but our hearts were bleeding. I, I can't figure it out, but all I know with Luther is the love of God in Jesus Christ. Right. Hallelujah. Glory be. Hey, listen, if y'all are just tuning in, uh, I'm Shane Claiborne, the host of this show. And uh, my guest today is dear friend, Alexia Salvatierra. So that's the voice you've been hearing. And, uh, you know, I've got all kinds of these Alexia isms, um, that you've, you've given me these treasures of wisdom. One of them is, um, you know, the, 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 the movement around black lives matter has been bringing special attention to folks that have been historically marginalized and, you know, crushed in different ways. And, um, I, you, one of the best takes I heard on it to, to communicate to my, you know, friends uh, that are uh, evangelical and Christian is from the, the verses in Corinthians where, you know, this beautiful passage begins with one body, um, 
you know, that we're all one. Uh, but then there's a really uh, significant part of the, at the end where it says that uh, those parts that have been dishonored are given special honor. And uh, you call that, I'll, I'll let you say, take it from there, but uh, this is God's affirmative action, I've heard yes. you say, right? So <laughs> That's right, God's affirmative action policy. What's, what's really beautiful about those verses, and it's so interesting how, like, when I remember when those verses first really hit me, saying, like, why is this never taught? Why is this never taught? Right, yeah. It says, and it's very strong. It says, give more honor to the parts that have lacked it, so that there would be no dissension in the body. But yeah. so all the parts would have equal care for each other. The yes. goal is not to flip who's on top. But the goal is that all the parts have equal care for each other. But the I only way it. you yeah. get there is by giving more honor to the parts that have left it. Exactly. And it's so beautiful, Yaka. And it's right there rooted in, you know, scripture right. rooted in faith. And and, and to, to say that, you know, Black Lives Matter isn't saying white lives don't matter. It's just, uh, you know, kind of being particular about what history has been particular about, right? That yeah. Black lives are three-fifths human. They're sold on street corners. They're tre- like we've treated folks so terribly. And so now to be able to say Palestinian lives matter or Haitian lives matter or whoever we've you know, like locked out on the other side, their life matters. And uh, so thanks for that, uh, Alexia. And we do a lot of work when I train people. Yeah. Not just on saying these things, but on talking about the metrics. Yeah. What are the metrics of being being the body of Christ? Mm. That you mm. really have to say, you know, who is making decisions? Yeah. Where are it's those good. decisions being made? Um, sometimes people say to me, you know, they have homeless ministries and they're like, oh no, we involve the homeless. There's some homeless people volunteer. And I say, how many of them are on the board? Right, right. You know, it's like yeah. Woo, you know, who's making the decisions here, right? And yeah. where and when are the meetings being held? Are they being held? At, there was a point a number of years ago where I suddenly became a single mom through a tragedy. And um, I, you know, I noticed that all the pastor meetings were held at seven in the morning because mm. they were really convenient for guys who had their wives taking care of the kids, you know, to yeah. meet at seven in the morning. And I was like, hey, I'm a single mom. You know, I'm yeah. not there at seven. So, you know, you, to, that if you're really going to live this kind of vision of the body of Christ, you have to get practical about it. Yeah. Thanks. So good. Okay. We just got a few minutes left. We're going to hit it hard. Y'all this is good. We got five more minutes with Alexia Salvatierra here. So I, I want to hear about some of the work that you're doing right now, but before we do that, I think like, because it, you're, you're doing this great work, like constructing something like right? there's a lot of people talking about how the church is dying young people are leaving and all that you know um and and they're de- they're deconstructing from some of the more toxic versions of colonial like christianity and stuff like that but it's kind of like just because you've gone to a mcdonald's and had a hamburger you walk away going i i don't like hamburgers you're like actually right. that was mcdonald's you know right. oh, okay. what, <laughs> a, what a good what a good way of talking about it mcdonald's yeah. you don't like not hamburgers but anyway like talk a little bit about where yeah. you see life in the church you know i would love to so i have to say that i teach at fuller theological seminary and we have a lot of young entrepreneurs coming through fuller you know like church entrepreneurs yeah like they they want to start churches and um, but they but they don't know how to do it because they know what they don't want, but they don't know what they do want. Right. Yeah. They have a vague idea and some of it is unrealistic. And um, so I have the great, ex- powerful experience in my young walk with Christ of being part of the base Christian community movement in the 70s and 80s in Latin America and the Philippines. And um, and then my friend, Brandon Rancher, who's an African-American pastor, 
Um, he's been studying the hush harbors for years, which are the where the independent slave churches. Mm-hmm. And so we started to get talk. We started talking one day, and we realized that there were a lot of commonalities between those two movements. These were movements by people of color, by the poor, by people yeah. who were poor and oppressed and marginalized, and they were in leadership. And they did this incredible, vital Christian community movement. And so yeah. we were like, let's let's see what's in common, and let's. Let's pull from it and let's hand it to these young entrepreneurs and mm. say, this is what it has looked like, right? And it, it's so powerful for young people of color too, to say, this is ours. We're yeah. not just copying white versions and putting it into Spanish. It's like, mm. this came out of our community and look what the poorest people and most marginalized people in our communities were able to create. It's called Buried Seeds and it comes out in October. The book wow. Okay, great. Yeah, I, you know, I got to visit some of the base communities down in El Salvador and uh, I mean, absolutely transformative to see how people in fact, you know, right as we're recording this, I'm looking on the other side and of the street and the simple way the little community we've got Salvador and art, we've got this sense mm-hmm. of like our vision is to try to build a neighborhood that we're proud to call home. And mm-hmm. a lot of that was inspired by this work, right? It's a vision yeah, that's very that's localized. Right. We stand on the shoulders of amazing people. Yeah. Why do we think we're wandering in the desert without a mount? Yeah. Okay. The last minute, tell us one more glimpse of, of how you're staying energized and finding hope these days. Cause that's one of the things I really uh, uh, love about being with you is you've got this faith that is resilient. And, you know, when I think of hope, it's not just about what, you know, what progress we've made, but what the spirit has gotten us through and how we can, we're going to be all right, you know, but tell me where you're finding hope in the last minute here. Yeah, well, we're doing a summit this summer. Um, Elizabeth Conde Fraser of AET, which is the oldest Hispanic theological education association in the country, and Robert Chao Romero, who wrote The Brown Church, and I, um, where we have been working with Edwin Aponte to pull together a, a cumbre, a summit of Latinx catalytic leaders renewing the church. Um, working with millennials and Generation Z, or they are millennials and Generation Z. And we got about 50 of them coming together this summer. Come on, y'all. So because the church is not dying. These young people are renewing the church. So they're going to come together and we're going to document their work and they're going to support each other. And it's going to be great. So we got to put a dot, dot, dot on it, but that's something you can do, y'all. Keep in touch with Alexia Salvatieri. You can also see her on our website, Red Letter Christians. And uh, thank you so much, my dear sister. Thank y'all for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.